another episode of the Bulletproof Fantasy Football Podcast. I am your host, Drew Rosenchuk. You can follow me on Twitter at DFBeanCounter. We are going to talk about Mac Jones today because I just did the updated rankings on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash BulletproofFF. Went through all the um, dynasty rankings and there was some pushback. There was some pushback about my placement of Mac Jones in the dynasty rankings. So we went into it with the patrons already, but basically... My process used to rely on a on a model from Football Outsiders called Cubase. They stopped using it this year and came up with a new one called Cubase 2.0. It doesn't work with what I used to use Cubase for. So I am kind of in between, if you will, processes right now on quarterbacks. I'm still finding my way on how to properly navigate this new Cubase-less world. But anyways, Cubase 2.0 is still an interesting model. It's just a little different than what I used to use, and I can't use it in the way that I used to use the old one. So I kind of had to kind of guess, I guess would be the way to put it. Basically looking at the, the inputs that they used to use and guessing at where the players would rank based on that. Anyways, one of the big things that I, I also factor in is draft capital, because draft capital has proven to be extremely important when it comes to quarterbacks. What we're going to talk about right now is all quarterbacks drafted after pick 10, so pick 10 and later. And then we're going to base it on Cubase 2.0. Cubase 2.0 is the football outsider's new model. It factors in rushing old Cubase than not. It doesn't work as well with, or it doesn't work at all with how I used to use my process. But anyways, it's still a pretty good model. It just doesn't work with the way I, I do things. Anyways, let's get back to it. Cubase 2.0, all quarterbacks drafted after pick 10, pick 10 or later. And we split it between positive and negative Cubases. Cubase 2.0s. So the Cubase 2.0 positive after pick 10 to pick 32, first round pick only. We have Ben Roethlisberger, Jay Cutler, Patrick Mahomes, Jason Campbell, Tim Tebow, Justin Fields, Aaron Rodgers, Christian Ponder, Deshaun Watson, Johnny Manziel, Josh Freeman, Lamar Jackson, Paxton Lynch. All of these players, except for four, have hit a top 24 season. Essentially, they were above average or average or better starters at some point in the NFL in terms of fantasy football. It gets a lot different when you look at negative Cubase 2.0 numbers, especially when you're factoring in this range of draft capital. So again, these are all quarterbacks drafted, pick 10 or later in the first round of the NFL draft. These are all of the guys with negative Cubase 2.0s. Brady Quinn, EJ Manuel, Matt Leinart, Mac Jones, Dwayne Haskins, Blaine Gabbert, Teddy Bridgewater, Josh Rosen, Jordan Love, Brandon Whedon, Joe Flacco, and JP Lawsman. You will notice that Mac Jones was on that list. This is not a good list. Only three of this entire list have hit a top 24 season and not a single one of them, zero, absolutely zero, have hit a top 12 season. Not even one, which is pretty remarkable in my opinion. This is the group that Mac Jones would still do. This is not a good group. This is not where you want to be. So the other thing to consider here is that I've been told that Mac Jones only went later in the draft. He only was 15th pick in the NFL draft simply because this class was loaded with quarterbacks, which this class was loaded with quarterbacks. But that's not why he was the 15th pick in the draft. When I look at Lance Zierlein's NFL.com film grades, I don't use these as a means of telling me who is and is not good at football. That's not, I haven't found them to be effective that way. But what it does tell me is usually where these players will be drafted. Are they going to be early first round picks? Are they going to be late first round picks? Are they going to be second round? picks, so on and so forth. Lance is very, very good at nailing draft capital. And when we look at only first round picks, only first round picks with NFL.com grades, they go back to 2014. So this is now seven classes of rookies in the first round. 
Mac Jones ranks absolutely third last. It ain't good. It's really not good. He was never going to be an early first round pick. And if he was, it was going to be a colossal nightmare. (laughs) It would have been terrible. So yeah, Mac Jones came in 27 out of 29 in film grades from NFL.com. Should be noted, Patrick Mahomes ranked lower on film, according to Lancer Line. But for the most part, he's pretty good at nailing draft capital. A lot of the guys with high film, or a lot of the guys with the high film grades went first or second overall. The first like eight guys, the highest eight grades all went first or second overall. Except for Sam Darnold, he went third. But I mean, whatever. Like I said, it's not good at predicting who, or it's not necessarily good at predicting who is and isn't good. Or it's no, it's no better than draft capital. Maybe that's the way to put it. It's as good as draft capital, which is pretty good. All things considered, draft capital is super important at the quarterback position. We just talked about that. Mac Jones was never going to be first round, early first round pick. That's the point. He didn't fall to 15 because of all the other good quarterbacks in this class. He fell to 15 because he just wasn't that good of a quarterback. That's really what it came down to. Anyways, part of the problem with the Mac Jones profile is that he only really was a starter for one year and his team was stacked. Even if it wasn't as stacked as the year with Tua, it was still a pretty strong team. At the quarterback position, we are looking for Konami code quarterbacks, right? If you're not a Konami code quarterback, you're not a top five option anymore. Here are the top prospects this year in rush yards per game, best season in college football. Trevor Lawrence had 43.3. Justin Fields had 47.9. Zach Wilson had 24.6. Trey Lance had 68.8. And Mac Jones came in with a startlingly low, unbelievably low 2.7. This is Josh Rosen level rushing. This is not good. This is really not good. And I get that some of y'all think that he's sneaky athletic, but I just prefer the quarterbacks that are a little less secretive about it. If you're going to be sneaky athletic, just be actually athletic and show it on the football field. It's not that much to ask for. But let's let's flip the page because he was like historically good at Alabama in 2020. He was one of the best college quarterbacks. He put together one of the best college quarterback seasons we've ever seen, to be perfectly frank. His QBR, if I recall, is in the 100th percentile because it's the top of the list. He was incredible. The problem is he's a nothing in the passing game or in the running game. So let's say, for instance, he has a season where he finishes third in passing yards and second in passing TDs in a given season. So he is one of the best passers of the football in the entire NFL. Just like a guy named Tom Brady did last year in 2020 when he finishes the QB9 in points per game. You need more than passing ability in today's NFL. The Mac Jones profile, if he hits, if he hits, if he's good at football, unlike all the other guys that look just like him, if he was actually good, we are talking about a guy who routinely finishes as a quarterback too in fantasy football. And my question for you is, did you enjoy owning Joe Flacco? Because the best upside for Mac Jones, in my opinion, is that he can have a long career in the NFL. Joe Flacco had a long career in the NFL. In fact, he had nine top 24 seasons. I believe that is basically what we're talking about with Mac Jones with his upside. He's going to be, if he hits, somewhere between quarterback probably 15 and 20. That's his peak. That's not interesting to me. That's Joe Flacco. And as much as you think Joe Flacco is a meme at this point, he had a lot of seasons in between quarterback 15 and 20. He had very few above that and very few below that. He had nine total seasons between quarterback 13 and 24. That's what we're talking about with Mac Jones. And I'm being a bit facetious because Joe Flacco is such a meme that it's hilarious to point this out. But really, that's what we're talking about. Kirk Cousins is probably best case scenario. I am not projecting in any way, shape, or form that Mac Jones becomes Tom Brady. But I think it's reasonable that he could become Kirk Cousins. Like, I think that's probably his top end. His... 
you know, probably mean range of outcomes is Joe Flacco and he's Dwayne Haskins at worst. He's out of the league. He's Josh Rosen. He's out of the league. That's what we're talking about with the floor of Mac Jones. He is not someone that I'm investing in. He is not someone that I'm suggesting that you invest in. He is not something that I in no way want on my fantasy team. The only time that I took Mac Jones was in when I'm in extremely, extremely super, super flex leagues. I'm talking about ridiculous scoring settings where the only thing that matters is quarterbacks. And usually in those leagues that I'm in like that, they focus on passing and actually mute rushing ability quarterbacks. Basically, there is virtually zero leagues that I want Mac Jones in. Even in those leagues, I'm trading him. If I got him, I'm looking to trade. Just get out of Mac Jones. He's he's probably not. And, and the next part of it is, if you look at the Mac Jones supporting cast, who do you want? Like, what what who is going to prop him up? Who is going to drag him along? You know, he doesn't have a Stefan Diggs. He could someday. They could, they could trade for a Stefan Diggs caliber wide receiver. They may even sign one in free agency. Heck, they could even draft one. But there isn't one there now. And I'm not betting on what might happen. Back in 2020, I actually liked Tua Tungaveloa better than I liked Joe Burrow. And then what happened was Joe Burrow went to the Bengals. And they drafted T. Higgins at the beginning of the second round. And I said, hey, you know what? He's got a stud for the rest of his life. Let's go. I'm in. He's, he's locked in. The bird is in the hand. And then the, the Miami Dolphins didn't draft any wide receivers. They didn't draft anyone that could actually help Tua. They, any, they didn't have anyone that could drag Tua along. And then everybody kept saying, yeah, but look at all the draft picks they have next year. Like, they're set. They're going to get weapons next year. And I was like, yeah, but what if they pull an Indianapolis Colts where we think it's a smart front office and then they spend draft picks on Michael Pittman Jr. and Paris Campbell in back-to-back years, which were bust-tier wide receivers. That could be the Miami Dolphins. And then we get to the draft in 2021 and the Miami Dolphins take Jalen Waddle at sixth overall. They traded a first-round, an extra first-round pick. They traded 12 overall and an extra first to go up and get friggin' Jalen Waddle. This was the worst-case scenario. For Tua Tungavaloa fans. And if you're hoping for something better for Mac Jones, it probably won't happen. It's really hard to get good players. Good players are rare. That's why we covet them. That's why we move mountains to get Jamar Chase level prospects. And we do not care about Jalen Waddle level prospects. Unlike the Miami Dolphins. So, Mac Jones. That's all I'm trying to say. are about to get into some Jonathan Taylor because it's time. You guys have been asking for Jonathan Taylor. I have not been doing it because it's just such a long episode. So I hope that you you are ready to get into the weeds here on some Jonathan Taylor. We're going to compare him to a couple of the best running back prospects of the past several years and kind of really dive into my process around running backs. It's something we haven't really talked that much about, but let's get into it. So first off, there is this there is a sub subgroup of people in the fantasy world that think that Jonathan Taylor is a generational running back prospect, and he simply is not. But what's important to understand is why we can make that distinction, that he is not a generational prospect. Let's get into it. Let's compare him to an actual generational prospect. Now, it should be noted that I have actually revoked all of my generational transcendent grades because they didn't mean anything. They were just showing you who are the best prospects. I want them to mean something from a fantasy football perspective. So now I have it defined at the at the wide receiver position. We have transcendent, we have wide, or, uh, generational wide receivers, but the running back, tight end, and quarterback positions, I don't have them anymore. Saquon Barkley is the best prospect I have ever seen back to 2003. Now, obviously, I wasn't doing fantasy analysis analysis in 2003, but 
My process is the same process. It was designed on old prospects and carried forward through to today. And there is nobody like Saquon Barkley. He is the best prospect we have seen since 2003. And it isn't close. It is not close. So let's talk about Saquon Barkley. Let's talk about Jonathan Taylor and where we get the gap here. Because I don't even think Jonathan Taylor is remotely close to Saquon Barkley. I don't even think Jonathan Taylor is in the top five running back prospects we've seen in the past 10 years. Let alone the last... 25 years, last 20 years, like he, he's not he's not that. So let's get into it. There, there was a lot of folks that were upset when I was saying that Jonathan Taylor is not a generational prospect. And the, the, the argument around this, obviously, is that Jonathan Taylor is big and fast. He is big and fast. We see a lot of big and fast running backs that don't become awesome. The argument is that he had three straight 2,000-yard seasons. There are a lot of running backs that don't get the type of volume that Wisconsin running backs get. We routinely see 2,000-yard rushers come out of that school because that's what they do. This is why we do not use raw counting stats. We never use raw counting stats. Raw counting stats do not tell the whole story. They do not adjust for the offense in which the player plays. Three straight 2,000-yard seasons is very good. Don't get me wrong. We use breakout age for running backs, or I do anyway. And Jonathan Taylor checks that box. He was an 18-year-old breakout. That's great. But the fact that he had three straight 2,000-yard seasons doesn't matter any more than if he had three straight 1,800-yard seasons or three straight 2,500-yard seasons because... The running back position is about efficiency, not about volume. It's about efficiency. It's a The running back position, as far as I can tell, actually is a lot easier to scout using things that like film grades in conjunction with regular metrics that we use. You cannot ignore film at the running back position. Maybe that's the best way to put it. Anyways, let's get into this because a lot of folks said he is generational. We have never seen anybody rush for three straight 2,000 yard seasons. We have never seen anybody at his size speed combination. I mean, aside from like, you know, a whole bunch of guys, but he, he is one of the best size speed specimens in, in the history of football or in the history of the running back position anyway. But that doesn't make him a good prospect because it doesn't matter as much. We can run correlation. We can run R squared. We can do all kinds of math on this kind of thing to see how much that stuff matters. It doesn't matter that much. It matters. It just doesn't matter. It's, it's not the only thing that matters. It's part of the puzzle. It's not the biggest piece of the puzzle. Anyway, let's go Jonathan Taylor versus Saquon Barkley. Their market share of receiving yards or market share of rushing yards, identical. Every year, identical. The difference, of course, is that Saquon Barkley didn't get the kind of volume that Wisconsin running backs get. There are a lot of running backs in Wisconsin that get 2,000 yards. Not all of them, don't get me wrong. Jonathan Taylor is a very good running back prospect. One of the best we've ever seen come out of Wisconsin. But that's not what matters. When we get to market share of receiving yards, Jonathan Taylor cannot hold a candle to Saquon Barkley. Saquon Barkley was better at 18. He was substantially better at 19. And he was substantially better at 20. It wasn't a contest. Saquon Barkley is head and shoulders a more prolific receiver in terms of market share of receiving yards. Not even close. Now, one of the things that people tell me is he had 6.3 yards per carry. And as you know, yards per carry isn't a real running back stat. It is a function of the offense in conjunction with the running back. The running back matters to some extent, but yards per carry isn't like predictable year over year. When we're in the NFL, we don't look at yards per carry and say, well, he had 6.3 or he had, you know, 6.3 is pretty extreme, but he had 4.7. So he's going to have 4.7 
next year. Like, it doesn't work like that. It doesn't work like that in college either. Yards per carry is a function of the offense. It's a function of the down and distance that the running back is used in. It is a function of the offensive line. It is a function of usage. Here's a great way to put it. Wisconsin in 2019, so Jonathan Taylor's final year, they ranked 15 out of 130 offensive lines according to Football Outsiders. Saquon Barkley, on the other hand, went to Penn State, and in his final year, that team was 63rd out of 130 offensive lines. One of these players had an incredible offensive line. One of these players had a mediocre offensive line. Taylor actually was better than Saquon Barkley in yards per carry. Taylor had 6.3 yards per carry. Saquon Barkley had 5.7. Of course, the offensive line plays a factor in this. The 15th ranked offensive line is going to lead the running back to a higher yards per carry because yards per carry isn't a running back stat. It's more than a running back stat. It's much more than a running back stat. What we use to try to isolate the running back's share of his yards per carry is a metric from the great Graham Barfield. He is with Fantasy Points. You should be a subscriber to Fantasy Points because he puts all of his data on there. You can... Use this data to build a good process or model around the running back position to figure out that Jonathan Taylor is a very good running back. He is not generational. And how we know this is that when we compare, say, someone like hmm, Saquon Barkley to someone like Jonathan Taylor, Saquon Barkley created 6.04 yards per carry. Created, not yards per carry, yards created per carry. This factors in the yards that the running back gained after the first potential tackle point. 6.04 for Saquon, 4.82 for Jonathan Taylor. Once we factor out offensive line and usage and personnel and all the other things that matter, we see that Saquon Barkley is a substantially better running back than Jonathan Taylor. And in fact, we see this across the board. We see a lot of players that are better than Jonathan Taylor. His 4.82 yards per carry isn't bad, but it's not good. It's like average. It was fine. It was fine. And you know what the crazy thing about that is? Jonathan Taylor was the same freak in college that he was in the NFL. And it didn't really matter in college. It's still really good. It's just not generational. That's really what it comes down to. And like a couple other examples here. This was the thing, right? At the time, everyone was like, oh, Jonathan Taylor isn't getting drafted early because running backs don't matter. And, you know, the NFL has caught on. And now they're not drafting running backs in the first round anymore, obviously. Except for, you know, like Josh Jacobs. In the first round in 2019, and Najee Harris and Travis Etienne in the first round of 2020, and oh, I don't know, Clyde Edwards Lair in the first round, or sorry, Harris and Etienne were in the first round of 21, and Clyde Edwards Lair is the first round of 20, and Jonathan Taylor was not in the first round because Jonathan Taylor wasn't a first round running back. He was a second round running back. All of his metrics, everything that matters that we look at on the Jonathan Taylor profile says he is a second round pick, and then he was drafted at the top of the second round like he should have been. Everything lines up. People are telling you a narrative that they have never done the research on. He was never going to be a top 10 pick. He wasn't mocked in the top 10. Nobody thought he was a top 10 pick except for the people that watched him run a 4-3-9 40-yard dash and rack up three straight 2,000-yard seasons that don't matter. Running backs draft in the top five. Saquon Barkley, 604 yards created per touch. Ezekiel Elliott, 5.98 yards created per touch. Leonard Fournette, 5.85 yards created per touch. Jonathan Taylor, need I remind you, 4.81. He is not in that range. He is not in that caliber of player coming into the NFL. He's still a very good prospect. Don't get me wrong. Jonathan Taylor was bulletproof. I can't say this enough. I only have like, I don't even remember how, what the number is, 25 bulletproof running backs in the past like 20 years. Like He's a really good running back prospect. He's just not generational. So we get back to draft capital. He was not a first round pick. Generational prospects are drafted in the first round. Good prospects, really good prospects are drafted in the first round. The really, really good for prospects are drafted in the top 10, like Todd Gurley and Ezekiel Elliott. Anyways, then we can look at film grades, right? Film grades, 
are not taking into account running backs don't matter. They are only looking at how did this player perform on the or on the college football field? What was his film grade? Saquon Barkley, this is all according to Lance Zierlein's NFL.com grades. Saquon Barkley, when he came out as a prospect, had a 7.45 film grade. That is equivalent to a perennial all-pro, which I think we can all agree, if Saquon doesn't get injured, he is a perennial all-pro. Ezekiel Elliott? 7.09, he would be classified as an all-pro. Leonard Fournette, who was the fourth overall pick, had a 6.8. That's a year one quality starter. Leonard Fournette wasn't in the same realm as Saquon and Zeke. Here's where it gets crazy. Fournette with a 6.81. JT, Jonathan Taylor, 6.41. He will be a starter within a year or two. And that is exactly how it played out this year. Jonathan Taylor, the first half of the year, was absolutely atrocious. He was one of the worst running backs in all of football. I was panicking. I had said this guy was was bulletproof. And he looked nothing like it. He was looked like one of the worst running backs in football. Not one of the worst rookie running backs in football. One of the worst running backs in football. He looked atrocious the first half of the season. It is not unreasonable to suggest that he needed a year or two to acclimate to the NFL. Just like Lance Lines grades suggested. That's Saquon versus... Jonathan Taylor. Let's now look at Leonard Fournette, whom a lot of you think was a bad prospect, which is hilarious because like hindsight bias is just running rampant here. When Leonard Fournette was coming out, or we thought he was coming out back in 2016, he did not come out. He came out in 2017 instead. Like we were talking about Leonard Fournette. We, we, we couldn't wait for Leonard Fournette to declare. It was a foregone conclusion. He would be a top five pick. It was written in stone well before he declared that he would be a top five pick. When he was coming out of high school, he was already thought of as a first round pick. I'm sorry, I was wrong on the draft grade. Leonard Fournette's draft grade was actually 7.10. My mistake earlier, I looked at the wrong sheet. Well ahead of Jonathan Taylor's 6.41. Again, yards created per attempt, Fournette, 5.85. Taylor, 4.82. Despite their yards blocked per attempt, Fournette, 1.08 yards blocked. Taylor, 1.39. Taylor had a bigger runway and did less with it. Then Leonard Fournette, whom you guys have buried since he got to the NFL. He was a great prospect. He was a great prospect. Missed tackles forced per attempt. This is where Jonathan Taylor's biggest flaw is. Jonathan Taylor is very much a beat a guy and run for a touchdown. That's his thing. He doesn't make defenders miss with any type of regularity. Again, this is according to Graham Barfield's Yards Created Database, which you can find on fantasypoints.com. Leonard Fournette, 0.47 missed tackles forced per attempt. He He forced a missed tackle every two attempts. Jonathan Taylor, 0.30. He missed, or he forced a missed tackle every third attempt. He was not in the same caliber as even someone like Leonard Fournette. Their market share of receiving yards. Fournette, better at 19. Substantially better. Not as good as Barkley, but quite a bit better than Taylor. Almost double. Almost double at 20. And then Fournette played at 21. He played about, I don't know, seven games or so. And he matched Jonathan Taylor's highest total almost in half the season. There just wasn't a lot to like there. Sorry. There is a lot to like about Jonathan Taylor. There just isn't a lot to like about Jonathan Taylor being a top of the world type running back because he wasn't. So then, like I said, we can, we can go through all this on like a per whatever basis on a per stat basis on a per metric basis. The end of the day, Jonathan Taylor does not compare to top five picks like Saquon Barkley, Ezekiel Elliott, Leonard Fournette. Jonathan Taylor compares to players like Oh, I don't know. Cam Akers and J.K. Dobbins, who both went in the second round the same year as him. He compares to Nick Chubb. I think he's almost like a spitting image of Nick Chubb. Nick Chubb and Jonathan Taylor are the same guy to me. 
They're both size speed freaks. Yes, JT ran faster, but at the end of the day, like it wasn't substantially faster. We look at things like weight adjusted speed score and height adjusted speed score. Saquon Barkley blows Jonathan Taylor out of the water. He's actually really, Jonathan Taylor is closer to Leonard Fournette in those metrics than he is to Saquon Barkley. Let that sink in. So then we can look at where does Jonathan Taylor rank in terms of running back prospects? Let's say 2016 to 2020. In that time frame, I have Saquon Barkley at RB1, Tier 1. He is alone on an island by himself. He is the best running back prospect we have ever seen. In Tier 2, at the top, we have running back Leonard Fournette, who has been mildly disappointing given the hype that he's had. But if you told me that I could draft a running back that would have three top 12 finishes in his first three years, I would take that running back. That's Leonard Fournette. That's points per game because he did miss some games. Ezekiel Elliott would come in at number three. I had Fournette over Elliott because Fournette caught more passes than Elliott did in college. Not more passes. He had a higher market share of receiving yards. I had more faith in Fournette being a pass catcher in the NFL than I did Ezekiel Elliott. Then in tier three, we have Joe Mixon running back four. Joe Mixon is real good. Running back five, we have DeAndre Swift. Running back six, we have Dalvin Cook. Running back seven, we have Christian McCaffrey. Running back eight, we have Alvin Kamara. We have not gotten to Jonathan Taylor yet. Running back nine. I actually had Rashad Penny, but I don't think he's there anymore because my new process that I just defined this year, back in, I don't know, December, January, somewhere in there, Rashad Penny actually doesn't score that well anymore because I started implementing some other metrics that I didn't use to implement, like say, you know, early declare versus late declare and breakout age and things like that. Penny doesn't score that well and that kind of stuff. So he actually fell out of my bulletproof tier into my coin flip tier. But anyways, then the next running back that I'm actually the most interested in uh, from a prospect profile perspective, this isn't right now. These are not my current rankings. These are how they rank as prospects. We have Cam Akers at number 10. He actually came in ahead of Jonathan Taylor. Then we have J.K. Dobbins at number 11. He actually came in ahead of Jonathan Taylor. And then we have Jonathan Taylor. All those guys are in the same tier though. If you want to take Taylor over Akers or Dobbins, I get it. So... Don't, don't go crazy on me, but they're all in the same tier. They're, they're basically all the same guy. So then we got to midseason, and around midseason, Jonathan Taylor was one of the worst running backs we have seen in the NFL in 2020. It was concerning. I actually, I normally do not drop players in the rookie year unless they are truly horrendous. You know, like, like a J.J. Arcega-Whiteside, who I never liked in the first place, but I dropped him in his rookie year because of how bad he was. That's how bad Jonathan Taylor was. He was creating nothing absolutely nothing then i tweet this right i tweet i like i'm i'm concerned i said he's bulletproof i'm concerned i'm not sure that he's actually as good as i thought he was and then he just erupts he erupts down the stretch and and i had talked to people on twitter about the tweet we're like ah like you should hold on because i think you know he might have a strong finish the i thought he would have a strong finish because he had such an easy schedule he had a david montgomery level schedule to finish the season i did not expect what jonathan taylor did down the stretch i was hoping to be able to get out of jonathan taylor for you know a, a mid first round pick i was hoping to get out of jonathan taylor and get a jamar chase after the season that's that was what i was hoping for as we went down the stretch Jonathan Taylor absolutely smashed down the stretch. He went for like 236 yards or something like that against the Jaguars in week 17. That was an incredible performance. I mean, that team was toast. They were playing for nothing. They were playing for Trevor Lawrence. They wanted Trevor Lawrence. They were absolutely not playing for anything. But Jonathan Taylor, you know, a lot of players are playing against teams that are playing for nothing. And they don't put up 236 yards. Jonathan Taylor played so well down the stretch. I'm back in on Jonathan Taylor. You know, my, my faith wavered. I actually had told people, you know, if you can get a first round pick for him, I don't think it's a bad idea. Take the re-roll. Maybe we were wrong. A lot of people didn't because, you know, they're smarter than me. But uh, 
now here we are. Jonathan Taylor is in the conversation for RB1 in fantasy football, in dynasty fantasy football. I think it's not as egregious to say in dynasty fantasy football that he could be the RB1. I, I, I don't hate it. I don't love it. That's not where I am, right? I'm at uh, RB7, I believe. But in redraft, he's going around running back one sometimes. Not always. I think his ADPs are on RB4 or so, which is still too high. This is a player that is absolutely, definitely, without a doubt, sharing receiving game touches with Naheem Hines. There is no doubt in my mind, Jonathan Taylor is not going to push Hines out of the way. We have Marlon Mack coming back. I don't think he's going to be much of a threat. I always expected Jonathan Taylor to have another backup. This was always going to be a three-headed running back core in Indianapolis. Ever since Jonathan Taylor was drafted, I was hoping that Marlon Mack would move on and it would be like Jordan Wilkins or something where, you know, he's just there to pick up the odd carry after Jonathan Taylor burns a, you know, a 30-yard run. That's fine. Marlon Mack, he might be more than that. Marlon Mack actually wasn't that bad. I was actually pretty shocked that the... Indianapolis Colts drafted Jonathan Taylor in the first place because I thought Marlon Mack's a pretty good running back. I didn't think he was like a, you know, Saquon Barkley or anything. Well, he's good enough. Running backs don't matter and he was fine. So now I'm like, well, I guess we're probably going to give the receiving game or the bulk of it to Naeem Hines. Jonathan Taylor to catch a, you know, the odd dump off if Carson Wentz is under, you know, under duress, a broken play, whatever. He'll he'll get some plays like that. He's probably not going to get schemed like Naeem Hines is going to. And then we have Marlon Mack. Hopefully he doesn't get the goal line touches. Hopefully it's all Jonathan Taylor, but we don't know yet. Anyways, where I am going with Jonathan Taylor right now in fantasy football is I think he's probably going to be a back-end wide receiver or running back one. I think that's probably where he's going to be. I could see him falling outside of that, but I really think he's going to be in that range. I think there's a chance, like a remote and absolutely remote chance that he gets into the running back top five. I think it's extremely unlikely, but I think it's possible. But yeah, I, I'm pretty much betting on him being a back-end running back one in 2021. I'm hoping that Carson Wentz is good at football now that he has been reunited. I kind of doubt it. I, don't, I think Carson Wentz caught lightning in a bottle that one year back in 2017 when he had his MVP-type run. And we've never seen him perform anywhere near that since. So I think it's probably pretty well over for Carson Wentz at this point. He might be a you know a fringy starter in, in fantasy football or in uh, in the NFL for a while. But I think he's always going to be a guy looking over his shoulder, waiting for the, the, other, sh- the other shoe to drop. And they, they draft another player, they sign a player, whatever they, they do to get another guy. This offense has no playmakers at the wide receiver position. Paris Campbell was a terrible prospect that face planted. Michael Pittman Jr. was a terrible prospect that barely, barely escaped face planting with a negative 12, if I recall. He was negative 13 as the face planter category. He just missed it. Congratulations, Michael Pittman Jr. You are not a face planner, but as close as you can possibly get. T.Y. Hilton is toast. This offense is going to have to go through the running game, and I just don't know that it's going to work out. Maybe. Maybe if they run into that really nice schedule they had down the stretch, that David Montgomery-esque schedule, Jonathan Taylor can absolutely catch fire again, but I'm not going to bet on it. So what to do with Jonathan Taylor? I'm actually holding him. I don't have a sell designation on him. I think you should hold him. I think that he's an... A very talented running back. I think he's probably going to be in the top five conversation at the dynasty position for a very long time because of his physical gifts, because he's going to turn out yards on the ground like a Nick Chubb. I just don't think he's ever going to get to Derrick Henry or not. Well, even Derrick Henry isn't as good as everyone thinks Derrick Henry is in fantasy. Well, yeah, he had like a running back three, I think, the one year. But he had like, what, 18 touchdowns? Like if Jonathan Taylor gets 18 touchdowns, yeah, all bets are off. He's going to be top five. But I usually don't bet on players getting 18 touchdowns. That's uncommon would be the way to put it. 
So I'm holding Jonathan Taylor. I'm hoping for better things on the horizon. If things do not look good, there's going to be a sizable selling opportunity because people are not going to give up on Jonathan Taylor anytime soon. So you hold him. You hope for the best. If it isn't going to work out, if it looks like it's going to be, he's going to be trapped in this three-headed committee or he's just going to be trapped in a one-headed committee in a bad offense, then we move him at that point. That's what we do. Right now, he's a hold. If I can get a godfather offer for him, though, I'm, I'm saying goodbye. 